0: Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the first Global Capital podcast of 2023. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the frequent issuers managing editor at Global Capital. Uh, now my usual co-host John Hay is away this week, but I'll be joined shortly by Kenny Wassel, our leveraged finance and private debt editor, and Marta Imericio, our syndicated loans reporter, to talk about the state of the leveraged finance market and what recent edicts from the ECB mean for how that market will operate this year. As ever, everything we talk about on the podcast, you can read more about at GlobalCapital.com and you can subscribe to this podcast, which brings you the most interesting tales in the capital markets every Friday for free at any podcast platform of your choosing. Now, it's going to be a fascinating year in the capital markets and the first couple of weeks in January, which are invariably among the busiest, will tell us a great deal about what issuers and investors are thinking about and worrying about both in the short and longer term. So what have the first few days of bond issuance told us? Well, Georgie Lee, our SSA bond reporter, has focused this week on sovereign bonds. Austria, Portugal and Ireland all bought successful deals this week. But the real test of that market is yet to come when bigger issuers like Italy, Spain, Germany and France all bring deals. Now, the jeopardy here, of course, is what the extra borrowing that governments will need to do will cost them as they try to fund support for the energy costs in their economies. We saw in September and October just how a government bond market could fall apart when Liz Truss's short-lived government in the UK tried to burden bond investors with a sharp increase in state borrowing. Uh, Mercifully, Eurozone sovereigns have taken a more measured approach. But nonetheless, with inflation still high, interest rates and yields set to rise further. European government bond supply is expected to rise by over 14 percent this year uh, to levels surpassing even those seen in the pandemic. It's, it's reckoned, according to UBS, that they will borrow or try to borrow around 1.3 trillion euros worth of, uh, of debt this year. Uh, now, that, of course, is going to have to be done in a market where there is ever less central bank bond buying, which is what propped up uh, the, the success of bond issuance during the pandemic um, and in previous crises and with a recession looming. That has led our corporate bond editor, Mike Turner, and our covered bond editor, Bill Thornhill, in separate opinion pieces to argue that issues that come to the market early this year will be rewarded. And that the buoyant primary bond market we're enjoying now is only masking a lot of underlying weakness that will be exposed before too long. That is to say, many of last year's factors that caused problems for issuers, inflation, energy costs, rising rates, the war in Ukraine, for example, have not been fixed and trickier markets lie in store and uh, almost certainly. It's been a boon then that one of the worst affected groups of borrowers, those from the emerging markets, have been able to print bonds that have gone well so far this year. Now this was a group of issuers, as as far as it can be called a, uh, a coherent group, that spent large chunks of last year either unwilling or unable to access the capital markets. But this year there have been already successful deals from Mexico, Slovenia, Hungary, Indonesia and Romania Uh, There was even a mandate for a high yield bond issuer from Latin America. Now, be sure to read Oliver West and Francesca Young's fascinating examination about what that means for emerging market issuers in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, But for now, we turn our attention to another market that has had its struggles last year as Kenny and Marta join us to talk about leveraged finance. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Marta. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having us. Hello. Uh, Now, um, leverage finance. Kenny, why don't you um, sketch for us how this market typically works, first of all, because this is important to understanding what the ECB is doing and why and what effects it might have.
1: Okay, sure. So uh, in essence, when there is a, co- a company or a private equity manager uh, who is looking to, to buy another company, they will take on debt. Um, once they've found a bank to, to do that, there will be a bank that will underwrite that debt. So in essence, they will hold that debt on their books uh, until they can then sell off bits of that debt as either bonds or as loans to, to, to investors.
0: Okay right and so how has that market been functioning it wasn't didn't have its um its typical classic year last year did it
1: it didn't no um so there were quite a few uh, transactions where there was actually uh, a you know a bit of a struggle to for for banks having taken on that debt to then pass that on uh, the the high yield corporate bond market was uh, very very quiet uh, even though there were a few deals towards the end of the year uh, and in general, what happened across the board was that banks ended up, perhaps having those, uh, having that exposure um, to that debt on their books for longer than they would typically want
0: to. And and why was that? Why couldn't the banks sort of distribute that debt to the broader set of investors they usually do?
1: So um, in essence. They've struggled because of the the wider macroeconomic picture. Uh, so uh, inflation is obviously rising. Uh, Their the banks have been putting up base rates. It's uh, it's really not been a, a rosy picture from a macroeconomic point of view. Uh, so obviously investors are feeling a lot warier of taking on that risk, and that is in essence why why banks have struggled to to pass that on to up that they otherwise might have might have done.
0: Right, so banks are carrying these, um, I don't know, I guess you might think of them as relatively risky depositions on their books. Marta, what has that prompted the European Central Bank to say recently?
2: Well, the European Central Bank appears to be a bit concerned that the risk of default is growing, which has prompted them to increase their capital requirements. And we've been seeing specific banks being targeted uh, which are the the main banks within the leverage finance uh, activities uh we've been seeing perhaps BNP Paribas UniCredit and Deutsche Banks have been targeted specifically Deutsche Bank has issued a statement at the end of December um arguing that the ecb has been asking for these extra capital requirements but it appears that deutsche well will not be able to comply with these capital requirements because it's already exceeding them so the question really uh is is the ecb going to target a growing number of banks and are these capital requirements going to hit all banks equally or specific uh big names within the left fin market
0: I mean, presumably this this extra capital that the ECB is requiring these banks to hold, um, do we have a sense yet for whether they're only targeting banks that are big in the leveraged finance market, such as Deutsche Bank, or uh, is it looking at um, capital requirements more broadly?
2: People are a bit into minds about this. I did speak to some uh, to some bankers who believe that because they're not main banks with the, the lenfit market, they're not going to be targeted. And if they are a bit more cautious in terms of um, the the debt they're taking on, they will not be they will not have any problems with the the extra requirements that they're being asked. Uh, while other um, other market participants believe that these Requirements will be followed on by banks who are not that involved in the left-hand market regardless.
0: Right. So this is obviously an incentive for banks with uh, leveraged finance positions on their books to sort of get rid of them. Um, and a disincentive to take take new positions on uh, one way or the other. So what has this meant so far for leverage finance activity?
2: Well, as Kenny mentioned earlier, the leverage finance activity has been pretty quiet lately. And yes, yeah, some some people have also argued that because of these extra capital requirements, the well banks have been particularly quiet. We've been seeing this first week of the year, well, having almost zero movement, and. An increasing number of people move into private debt for their financing.
0: Yeah, so tell us a bit about that, Kenny. What's the what's the dynamic there? Presumably, the investors in the sort of as it were public leveraged finance markets just still don't feel any differently to how they felt last year because the underlying uh, macroeconomic picture isn't particularly diff- different. So, how does uh, private credit um, come into play here? And um, perhaps you could just briefly uh, tell us a bit about. Uh, development of private credit in this market just to bring us up to date because i know we did a podcast episode about that uh just before christmas
1: yeah so i mean as as we've uh said i think as we said in the last uh the last episode there there this is not a new trend that private debt has been uh, um kind of eating into uh sort of what would typically be uh bank's stomping ground when it comes to leveraged finance it's something that's been happening for a few years has been kind of gradual, gradual progress, um, but I think notice is perhaps more noticeable in this past year because uh, obviously there has been a slowdown in the in the sort of public bond markets and uh, on the bank side as well. Uh, so private debt certainly has not had that much problem in terms of uh, you know finding places to to deploy their their capital. Uh, from an investor point of view as well, uh, it's it's a slightly different different proposition because obviously the the returns in private debt are slightly higher. Typically, the loans will be they'll have less tight uh, kind of uh, well covenants, but to, to put it in layman's terms, less sort of specific requirements, fewer specific requirements on uh, the companies that are, that are borrowing it, but for investors, they actually get a slightly higher return on their, on their money. Um, so it, it is a trend that has been, there's a long-term trend for those reasons, but I think perhaps becoming more pronounced now because you're seeing this tail off in, uh, in well, certainly in the high yield corporate bond market, but also on the banking side as well. And one would imagine, As it becomes more expensive and more difficult for banks to to loan money, you would think that would only favor uh, private debt managers uh, more. It's not going to be a big bang, but it's another thing that feeds into that equation, I think.
0: I think we we said before Christmas, this is already, in fact, a couple of times last year, that this is already um, a sector. Private credit was already a sector where they were... They'd already kind of deployed as much as they possibly could deploy or were getting close to the limits of what they could deploy so this presumably will really uh give them a boost in terms of the the i guess the terms that they can ask for with deals
1: sure yeah you would imagine that it would uh give them a boost in terms of terms they could ask for um but also i think on that equation uh on that sort of discussion sorry that we're having before christmas about the fact that they had already invested a lot of their capital, they do still have a reasonable amount of dry powder. There were, I think I mentioned in the article, there was uh, data from Prequin, uh, which is a data provider uh, that showed that there was, I think it was just over a hundred billion euros uh, dedicated to European investments, but compare that to private equity, private equity has 250. yes that they've deployed a lot of their capital the problem was that they were struggling to raise money last year uh but it seems that a lot of investors are now increasing their or are being encouraged anyway by asset managers to increase their uh, allocation the amount the percentage of their available capital um to increase the amount of that that they direct towards private markets. So hopefully we should see them that pick up and we should see them have more cash available to to invest. So, I mean, we'll see how it kind of plays out in terms of the the impact of the wider dynamics on the leveraged buyout market, which is obviously what drives the deal flow in uh, Levfin.
0: Yeah, so what are the thoughts for that then? If if um, the companies that do the leverage buyouts, um, if they're going to find bank financing more expensive and those banks are going to have trouble distributing that debt and, uh, you know, there's not so much um, private capital to be had, what does that sort of indicate for um, M&A and leverage buyouts for the year ahead?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, that's that's a very, very important question, isn't it? Um, I guess f- on the one hand, uh, you could you could say that private equity firms are sitting on all of this uh, available capital, dry powder, as it's known, and um, that they've kind of struggled over the last six months, uh, apparently, according to some lawyers that, that I was speaking to yesterday. They struggled to put that to work, and um, those lawyers kind of expected that to continue into next year the the question is whether that is as a result of there not being a lot of de- available uh debt capital uh, but you wouldn't think that it's you wouldn't think that it's something that can be addressed very quickly because it takes in order for these private credit managers to raise money it takes them a good 6 months to 12 months to actually raise capital from investors um they've obviously got to start sort of marketing the fund. They've then got to do their roadshow, as it's called, going around selling their, their strategy to investors who will then say, right, we'll give you money to do that. Um, and all of that takes time. So it could be that we see uh, m remain low uh, going into next year. Uh, there are other ways, obviously, for private equity to, to deploy their money, uh, whether that be all equity deals, which, you know, that removes a lot of the, Upside, a lot of the benefits that one would get from using loans to to support and and boost returns, um, but I, I mean it could be minority investments as well. Um, one of the areas that they are seeing, uh, I think, opportunities appears to be in in the public markets. Actually, uh, again, speaking to to the the lawyers that I was speaking to yesterday, they were saying that they're seeing a lot of interest from private equity investors, particularly. In the UK a lot of private equity investors from the US given the strength of the dollar relative to sterling um, in coming into the UK and taking companies private that were previously public because one of the other effects of this macroeconomic picture has been that public equities have been lower as well Um, so the deals are there for private equity Uh, the question is whether that there will be uh, enough kind of debt to support that or whether they will find innovative ways, I guess, of uh, making those investments.
0: So many puzzles ahead about where to find capital and how much to pay for it across the markets. Uh, And you can follow all of the borrowers we've talked about today and how they fare by subscribing either to this podcast, which is free, or to Global Capital, which isn't. Uh, So it only remains for me to thank Kenny and Marta for joining me to uh, talk about the leverage finance market today, and to Gerald Hayes, our producer, who edits this podcast together. Um, Thank you very much for listening too, and we'll be back with more from the capital markets next week. Thank you and goodbye.